Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 179. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. Howdy ho, Chris. Howdy, Pete. We are back, of course, once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. It's actually been a fairly slow week since our last episode, but nonetheless, we are back to talk about the latest news and discuss this week's big topic, which is what we want to see in the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild sequel. Mm-hmm. However, before we get to that, why don't we kick things off with some news? And first up in the news this week, I want to discuss a new game that is coming out on the Nintendo Switch very soon. It hits on August 16th, just about a week away. That is Grandia HD Collection from Gungho Online. This is an updated version of a couple great acclaimed Japanese RPGs that originated back in the 32-bit era, and I am very excited for these to be making their way to Nintendo Switch. These were announced quite a while ago, but we didn't really know the details or when they were hitting until just now. Pete, by any chance, is this something you're looking forward to as well? Uh, you know, not so much on this one, but I understand the magnitude of it being on Switch. Yeah, these were a couple of games that originally came from Game Arts, which was at one time a great studio in Japan, and they're the same company that made the Lunar series, which is one of my personal favorites. Oh, right. And Grandia first came out on the Sega Saturn in Japan, then it hit the PlayStation and came to North America via that version in 1999, but I never really had a chance to play it. I dabbled in it just a little bit, but I never played it more than an hour or something. It came out right around the time of Final Fantasy VIII and Suicoden II, and so for me, it kind of got lost in the shuffle, but I've always wanted to play it. And the first game, the original Grandia, focuses on a character named Justin and his friend Sue as they set out on an adventure in what seems to be this charming coming-of-age story, not very much unlike Lunar. And you're not some big hero on a quest to save the world, at least not from the beginning. And I've always been intrigued by the story and the characters and the character designs. And now I'm finally going to get the chance all over again to see what it's all about. Yeah, and it is pretty cool that it is actually finally coming out on Switch. Yeah, totally. I never thought this game would come out on Nintendo system, even though I think there was like some sort of Game Boy Color Japanese exclusive spinoff back <laughs> in the day. But you know, we never got the originals on Nintendo consoles. Right. Some of the highlights of this series include a battle system that mixes turn-based battles with some real-time elements. There's this meter on the screen when you're in battle called the initiative point gauge that your characters and enemies' icons move along, and when they reach a certain point on the meter, you can command them to attack or use an item or cast a spell or whatever, and then when the icons reach the end of the meter, then they act. So characters' speed is a key factor, mm. and you can stun enemies to prevent them from taking action or maybe defeat them before they can attack by paying close attention to this meter. Another highlight of the game is the soundtrack. It is composed by Nora Yuke Uwadare, who composed not only the soundtrack to the Lunar Games, but also several of the Ace Attorney titles. Yeah, that tickles your fancy. Oh yeah, absolutely. And while I haven't actually seen this version of the game in action yet, you know, I don't really know what it looks like. Supposedly, it does have a bit of a visual upgrade over the 32-bit original. They promised enhanced details to the user interface, to the sprites, to the texture art, as well as touch-ups to the cinema scenes. Hmm. Plus, this version will include Japanese and English audio and subtitles in those languages, as well as French and German translations. Well, that sounds like they're doing it the right way. Yeah, totally making it accessible as possible, it seems. As far as Grandia 2 goes, it's not a direct sequel. Instead, it stars a mercenary named Ryudo, but it does feature the same general gameplay and battle system as the first Grandia. Strangely, I don't know as much about this one, even though I think I probably played more of it than I have the original. I did try the Dreamcast version back in the day. I think I probably even own the Dreamcast version. Anyway, like Grandia 1, this one also features updated visuals, multiple language support, and while I'm not quite as excited about this one, I do recall it is supposed to be a very, very good game, and I'm totally looking forward to owning this one and trying it all over again as well. And I think that I'm happy for you. <laughs> all right, Nemesis, I will take that uh, as a good thing. <laughs> yeah, there's no word yet on a price for the game 
or if there's going to be a physical version down the road, but the digital version does release just next week. And yeah, I was thinking this was going to be kind of a quiet month. I'd be able to, you know, check into my backlog, maybe catch up on some older tiles I haven't had a chance to play through yet. But no, we've got two massive RPGs right around the corner that I have never had a chance to spend much time with. So I'm totally looking forward to playing through those as soon as they hit Nintendo Switch. And me, I already have far too many RPGs to be trying to play through. <laughs> well, if you've got Fire Emblem Three Houses, that is totally understandable. <laughs> I just picked that up. Well, moving along to another new game coming out on Nintendo Switch, the internet has caught on to the fact that there is a new Cooking Mama game in the works for Nintendo's console. Oh, my, my, my. Yes, apparently the game is called a Cooking Mama Cookstar. <laughs> At least that's according to some information that leaked out of some European ratings sites. Yeah. However, there was actually a Cooking Mama game announced for Switch, like back at the beginning of the year. It really flew under most people's radars, including my own. At the time, that version was called Cooking Mama Coming Home to Mama. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. that might be the greatest subtitle of all time. Yeah, unfortunately, it has probably changed since then. They are probably one and the same. But yeah, this game was announced back then. It was supposed to be from publisher Planet Entertainment, which is the same publisher of this title. And the developer is First Playable Productions, which is not who has created the previous Cooking Mama games. All the other ones have been made by a company called Office Create out of Japan. And, you know, I'm wondering, what does this mean for the series? If this is made by a different company, a different studio, as well as a different publisher, like, what will this game be like? Also, looking at that press release from earlier in the year, it was telling all these blockchain features. I'm like, oh, man, what the heck is what? all this about? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I don't even know how that applies to a Cooking Mama game, right? <laughs> uh, nope. Anyway, that aside i've always been a fan of the cooking mama games and so i am very intrigued by this but it does leave a lot of questions for me you know one of the game's strengths has always been the diversity of the controls especially the touchscreen controls you know obviously there was no touchscreen control with the wii version that focused on motion instead and i think they have sort of indicated this is going to include motion controls as well we'll also have touchscreen stuff we'll also have traditional controls i don't know i'm interested to see what they do also, while I am kind of worried about Office Create not being involved, on the other hand, I'm thinking, well, maybe they'll do some of the changes I've always wanted out of this series. You know, while I've always enjoyed the mini games and cooking up these dishes in various fun ways, I have always wanted there to be a story mode or an arcade mode mm. or something like that. And so I'm hoping maybe finally there will be something like that in this game. We really have no idea, but I'm kind of crossing my fingers for it. Yeah, you're right. The series really has been uh, lacking in uh, story development. Yeah. I mean, I've always liked it, but it's been very, very stagnant ever since the beginning. It's like they haven't really changed the gameplay too much. Just add a few mini games, add new recipes. I'd really like to see it be taken to the next level. Will that happen with this? I don't know, but I look forward to the official announcement and all the details. I know you're a big Cooking Mama fan. That's true. That's very true. You might remember my Cooking with Power article back in the Nintendo Power days. <laughs> oh boy, do I ever. Now, as for a game that we already do know quite a bit about, we've got Pokemon Sword and Shield on the way, and the folks at the Pokemon Company provide a little bit of an update earlier this week about some of the details in this title. Ah, uh, yes, the uh, Pokemon information drip continues. Yes, indeed it does. And one of the highlights out of that new information was that there will be Galarian form Pokemon, similar to the Alolan form Pokemon from Pokemon Sun and Moon. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting reveal, I think. Well, it is definitely very curious and highly amusing in a lot of ways, I would say. <laughs> Absolutely. So they haven't really revealed too many of these Galarian form Pokemon, but like the first one they showed off was Galarian Weezing, which is basically Weezing now with a mustache and a top hat, which is also a smokestack. Like, all this dude needs is a monocle now, and he would be perfect. <laughs> and he'd be hanging out with, like, the planter's peanut and uh, the yeah. Monopoly guy or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's uh, really gone upper class, it seems, and I love it. Weezing might be my uh, new second favorite Pokemon character. Ah, uh, yes. Outside of uh, Wigglebutt, whatever his name is. <laughs> Yamper, Yamper, that's what his name is. Oh, right. Is. The Corgi Pokemon. Yes, indeed. I'm just excited to see a Pokemon with facial hair. Yes, I'll bet you are. <laughs> it probably rings true to your own heart. <laughs> it is funny, though, that like how much more English could you get? <laughs> really? 
not much more English than that. Hmm. However, that is not the only Galarian Pokemon. There is also the Galarian Zigzadoon and its evolved form, the Galarian Linoon. But instead of being brown and white and looking sort of like raccoons as they did originally, they're now black and white and kind of look like, you know, weasel skunk hybrids or something. <laughs> and then you can actually evolve beyond that into a third form. It becomes this bipedal black and white weasel skunk sort of you know, soccer hooligan thing named Obstagoon. Yeah, and he has a very uncanny resemblance to a certain lead singer of a band named Kiss. <laughs> you know, I hadn't really thought of that. You know, they call him a blocker Pokemon, so it was really the soccer hooligan aspect that uh, I was thinking of. But uh, you're right, it does sort of look like Gene Simmons now that you mention it. Especially with that tongue out. <laughs> That's right. No kidding, no kidding. Anyway, speaking of new Pokemon, they also introduced this weird tailless Pikachu clone thing <laughs> named Morpico. <laughs> yes, and he comes in two flavors. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm not really sure what to make of him. Like, why do we need this weird looking Pikachu knockoff? But apparently it sort of transforms from one mode to another. It turns all dark and black and purple <laughs> and enters hangry mode. And its attacks change from electric type to dark type. That's right, and don't neglect full belly mode, which I feel right, like... that's when it's got its normal colors, which, uh -huh. which I feel like you're perpetually in. Uh, more or less, yes, that's true. <laughs> now, did you notice that the full belly mode version has his hand in a pocket? Hmm, you know, I don't think I noticed that. I noticed that it sort of has the tail just sort of drawn on the back of him. It's not a real tail, but no, I had not noticed the pocket part. Is it like reaching for a Snickers bar or something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of does look like that. Hmm, interesting, interesting. I guess you're a fan of this guy, huh? Well, it is kind of an interesting concept. You know, Pokemon always has tried to introduce these variations of Pokemon based on different things. But this one is a little bit out there, I think. <laughs> yep, that's definitely true. Then, in addition to these new Pokemon, we found out about some new rivals to the player character. There's one guy named bead i guess he's just some generic dude they like showed his name on the screen and then they like kind of went off to the next one <laughs> who is marnie who is this sort of goth girl who has all these punk fans called team yell that i guess they yell at you <laughs> they're just intense they are intense yes apparently they will unsurprisingly you know, send pokemon out to battle you as well but uh, yeah apparently marnie has quite a fan base yeah, Team Yell actually looks pretty awesome. Uh, they're, they're a nice departure from, you know, the Team Rocket usual attire. Yeah, they're actually probably quite a bit more intimidating than Team Rocket or Team Skull, now that I think about it. Oh, yeah. The last thing that they introduced is this new system at the Pokemon Centers called Poke Jobs. If you thought that the Pokemon were not quite earning their keep before, well, now you can do something about that. <laughs> you can assign your Pokemon, who aren't in your party, to certain tasks, like helping with a farm or helping with construction work or helping with cooking, and this allows them to earn extra experience points. Presumably, certain types of Pokemon are better suited to certain types of jobs, but it's definitely an interesting new system to be seen in Pokemon Sword and Shield. Now, if only I could put you to work. Hey, you've seen me try to cook before. It's not a pretty sight. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, the more I see of Pokemon Sword and Shield, the more fleshed out the game gets, the more interesting this world looks, the more hilarious the world looks in a lot of ways. <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to picking this one up when it comes out on November 15th. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that the more we learn about this game, the more uh, I want to play it, and uh, it seems to be living up to the hype. All right, glad you think so. Just one more little bit of news I wanted to bring up, and that is the unfortunate fact that DuckTales Remastered, which is on the Wii U, is being delisted on August 9th at 4.59 p.m. Pacific Time. <laughs> wow. Yes, that is very precise. It's oddly it? specific. <laughs> Yes, but it's good to know exactly when it's happening. And, you know, I don't even know if this podcast is going to be up by that time. I don't know if people will have heard it by that time. But, hey, if for some reason you do not already have DuckTales remastered and you actually own a Wii U, I definitely recommend getting it. That game is fantastic. And to be honest, it is probably the best game currently on Wii U that cannot be played on any other Nintendo console. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be right with that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Just last week we were talking about the original DuckTales and how great a game that was on the NES. 
But yeah, this remake on Wii U is equally fantastic. It takes the same concepts and redoes it with more modern play mechanics, additional levels, all kinds of extra good stuff. And, you know, it would have been great if they had renewed their contract and brought to Switch or something like that. But unfortunately, things have sort of gone the opposite way, and it is being delisted after about six years in the eShop. So if you have not played this game, do yourself a favor, download it, check it out. In fact, it's even on sale. It's only like $3.75 or something. So (laughs) do not miss out. That's my advice. It's true. It's true. The one saving grace about DuckTales Remastered is that there was actually a physical version of the game released. So even if you miss out on getting the digital version for Wii U, you could still potentially buy this game on a disc and play it that way. So uh, thank goodness for that. Yeah, it's definitely a worthy purchase. Woo! (laughs) Yeah, and then uh, Chris, one other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up the news... Oh, yeah? Yeah, so Mario Tennis Aces seems to be playable for free right now as long as you are a Nintendo Switch Online subscriber. Oh, that's cool. I did not know about that. Apparently it started on the 7th of August at 10 a.m. Pacific, and that trial window concludes on August 13th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific. Okay, that is also oddly specific, but very good to know whole uh, week's free trial, basically, of Mario Tennis. Excellent. Yeah, and apparently if you pick up the game at that point, your save data from the trial version carries over to the full version. All right, well, that is very cool to know. I've actually barely played that game at all, so that will be an excellent chance for me to try it out. Yeah, I've definitely considered picking it up a few times, so maybe this will put me over the edge. Well, you can give it a shot and uh, make your mind up then. Indeed. All right, well, that takes care of our news for this week. And even though the show has not gone on very long, it is time for us to take an intermission. Hey, and then... wait a second there, bucko. Oh, what's up, Pete? Do you have more news? Do you have some impressions to share or something like that? What's going on? Nope, it's time for a different segment. Oh, what on earth could that possibly be? It's called Hassle the Hop. Oh, right. I should have known. Okay, well, all right. Wait on me then, Pete. What you got? Alright, dear video game professor Hoffman. Yes. Which Zelda minigame is your favorite? Which Zelda minigame is my favorite? Boy, off the top of my head, it's hard to even think up all the minigames that are in the <laughs> Zelda titles. Yeah, I mean you got like your Bombachu bowling, yeah, fishing. Yeah, of course you got that. You've got your Wind Waker battleship. Kersplooge! <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah, this is definitely a tough question for me, Pete. And I guess I'll let you in on a little secret. Hmm. There are a lot of minigames in the Legend of Zelda series that I just kind of (laughs) hate. Like, I love the Zelda games, but a lot of times it's like, okay, I have to complete this challenge (laughs) to get a piece of heart. And I'm just like, oh man, not this minigame. I'm dreading this (laughs) minigame. I mean, playing the minigame is fun, but a lot of times completing that last challenge to get that piece of hard, whatever it is that you get as a reward, is just kind of frustrating. That kind of makes me love the minigames, because now, you know, being your nemesis, I like to see you hating life. So with that in mind, I guess I can narrow it down to a few different minigames. One of those would be fishing, of course. You know, fishing has for a long time been a staple of the Legend of Zelda series. Oh, right. And... A lot of times it is very, very fun. I mean, getting that really big fish in Ocarina of Time is always frustrating. (laughs) But still, the fish mechanics themselves are very fun. And some of the other Zelda games, it is actually a lot easier to complete the tasks. Like in Twilight Princess, I just found the fishing to be totally relaxing. Mm. And in Link's Awakening, the fishing is really straightforward and simple and fairly easy to complete. So that's a pretty fun version of fishing as well. Yeah, agreed. I also like the Fruit Pop Flight Challenge in Twilight Princess. Again, it can be pretty difficult to hit the par scores and win all the stuff you can get, but just flying through that cavern and trying to collect the fruit can be fairly fun, so I do like that one. Yep. And then also in Twilight Princess, there is the Flight by Fowl (laughs) minigame. And that is one where you basically just grab on to a cuckoo, or a chicken if you will, and 
you know, fly down from this perch, hang on the cuckoo, and try to collect rupees as you make it onto the goal. That one isn't really a great one, but you do play it by holding on to a chicken, <laughs> so I give it bonus points for that. <laughs> you are obsessed with weird chicken games. You're obsessed with weird chicken games. All right. Uh, but I think the one I'm going to say is actually my favorite in the Zelda series is the Stars minigame, again, from Twilight Princess. Yeah. And that's where you are in a cage and you're sort of zooming around trying to collect these balls of light. And the way you're supposed to do it is using the double hook shots. Uh-huh. And while the game itself you know, isn't great, I love those double hook shots. I love the hook shots in the game. So just the way you fly around on that cage, just you know, back and forth and uh, grabbing all that stuff does get to be pretty fun, even if doing it within the time limit can be somewhat of a challenge. So because of my love of the hook shot, I think that is ultimately what I'm going to decide on. The Stars minigame, although fishing will be a close second. Ah, all right. That's some pretty good choices. And yeah, you're right. There are a ton of minigames in the Zelda universe. Yes, yes, there definitely are. <laughs> I would have also accepted Cat Chat. Cat Chat? I don't even think I count that as a minigame. <laughs> and uh, Sumo Wrestling. I guess if you want to see Link uh, with his shirt off, then that's a great one, too. <laughs> well, thanks for making that weird. My pleasure. all right with that settled we will take an intermission and then we come back we'll have this week's big topic which is what we want out of the zelda breath of the wild sequel Alright, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is what we want out of the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild sequel. Obviously, this game was announced a couple months ago at E3. It was probably the biggest surprise of Nintendo's presentation. It was a game that pretty much every Nintendo fan was hoping was in development, but we didn't really know for sure. But yes, indeed, we are getting a Breath of the Wild sequel, and uh, we don't really know anything else about it. Other than that Link and Zelda are back, it's a direct sequel to the previous game. They seem to have uh, discovered Ganon's corpse underneath Hyrule Castle. Creepy. But uh, what else we get beyond that, we don't really know yet. However, there are certainly a lot of things that we would like to see in the game, both from me and from Pete, and that is what we're here to talk about in this week's Big Topic. Yeah, and I almost feel like there's a lot of comparisons between this and Majora's Mask, obviously. I can see that. But to me, one of the biggest things is that, you know, this one is going to be completely on Switch, I'm assuming. Right. Whereas the last one kind of had to cater a little bit to Wii U. So I do wonder if that makes a difference as far as overall, you know, ability to use the Switch's beefier hardware to uh, make a better game. Yeah, I would not be surprised if that were the case at all. I mean, that said, the original Breath of the Wild did look and play pretty darn great, despite being made to work on Wii U as well. But uh, yes, I think you are right. I think that uh, it probably will benefit from being built for that system from the ground up. With that said, though, what kind of additions or features do you want to see in this game, Pete? Oh, man. Uh, Well, where to start? Well, first off, I think you kind of hit this on the head. The Breath of the Wild is is a great game, but I think if I'm being honest with myself, I would say that one thing I'd like to see is, or hear rather, is a little bit more music, uh, especially in the overworld. Oh, that, I would say, is a very good suggestion. That's not something I had on my list, but the more I think about it, the more I would say you are correct about that. I mean, 
Breath of the Wild did have very good audio, but yeah, it was kind of sparse. And, you know, it kind of worked, but I think it could have been better if it actually did have a real, more traditional soundtrack. I think I would certainly enjoy that as well, anyway. Yeah, I didn't hate the silence because there were moments where, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're kind of just looking around the prairie or whatever. Yeah, it was great for atmosphere. Right, but then there are times where you want there to be sort of this like sweeping overworld theme or something, and I just felt like it was missing from Breath of the Wild. Yeah, there could definitely be more with the music. The Zelda series has always been known for great music, so yes, I do think there is room for more of that. Now, one thing that I would like to see is a brand new world map. Yeah. You know, we don't really know what kind of a sequel this is. We know it is a direct sequel, but with that in mind, I would be kind of disappointed if we end up exploring the exact same version of Hyrule (laughs) that is in the first Breath of the Wild. Hopefully, they will be warped to some alternate reality. You know, maybe like the way that Terminal Field was very similar to Hyrule, but also very different. So... Whatever they do, I want to be exploring different terrain, not just the same old thing that I already came across. Even if things are now in different places and there's different temples and there's different shrines, just having that same overworld would be pretty darn boring. So I want to see them figure out from a story perspective how we are going to be exploring a completely different Hyrule, or maybe it's not even Hyrule, maybe it's something different altogether. But I think that would be key for this game. I mean, maybe it's a no-brainer, maybe it's obvious because that's what they've always done, but I certainly hope that is indeed the case for this game. Also, wherever they're exploring, I would kind of like to see more castles involved. <laughs> exploring Hyrule Castle was really, really fun, but most of the other castles that were in that game were already destroyed or they're covered with malice or whatever, and I think it would be very cool to explore some more castle-like environments. Yes, yes, Malice in the Palace. Yes, yes, indeed. That's a really good point. And, you know, honestly, I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, you're right. From a story perspective, how do you, you know, have them be in the same location without exploring the same area? Right, right. So hopefully they're transported to a different world or something like that. I mean, I suppose it could all be subterranean, but that would be kind of boring. So hopefully they don't do that. But hopefully they figure something out. Maybe there's some giant earthquake that totally reshapes the terrain or something (laughs) ridiculous like that. Maybe they're warped to the past. I don't know. Right. Maybe it's the Golden Land. Maybe it's set in the Golden Land this time, and that could be something that's totally different or at least significantly different enough that it would be fun to re-explore. Whatever they come up with, hopefully it'll be uh, fun and different and compelling. Oh, right. I was going to ask you, would you settle for a, you know, a time-warping mechanic where they you know, go back in the past and maybe all those palaces that you're talking about that are in ruins being actual fortresses and being a part of the landscape? Yeah, that could be one way to do it. Cool. Yeah, I'm all for that. So, good suggestion. So, what else is on your list? For me, kind of going back to the Hassle the Hoff question earlier, I really was disappointed that there was no fishing at all in this entire... That's right. You pull out the fishes with your bare hand. (laughs) Or with bombs, as it were. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, to combat that, I think a lot of players would probably just prefer to throw a bomb in the water and kill a bunch of porgies. But (laughs) I think that one option would be just to have, like, some sort of deep sea fishing or just some ability to, you know, fish for particular fish. Like, there's some you can only get if you uh, are fishing off the bottom, you know? Yeah, that would make a lot of sense to me, and you're right. And that is something that was very conspicuous by its absence in Breath of the Wild. So yeah, that is an excellent suggestion as well. Cool. What do you got? Well, I suppose this is probably an obvious one that a lot of people are likely to say, but I would love to see some more expansive, full-fledged dungeons in the next Zelda game. I mean, the Divine Beasts, you know, they were fine for what they were, but I would love to see just those traditional dungeon designs return you know complete with mini bosses as well as bosses and they'd have items within them that you would collect and use i mean maybe they wouldn't necessarily be an all-new tool or an all-new room maybe this be upgrades to the existing items you already have but still i would love to see the return of that classic dungeon design just going beyond what we saw in the first Breath of the Wild, and allowing that classic traditional aspect of the series to come back into the Zelda franchise. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, as much as I did enjoy the concept of the Divine Beasts, I did feel like, you know, compared to other Zeldas, the dungeons really were sort of lacking. Yeah, I definitely had some great puzzles, but overall, I didn't enjoy them as much as I did the dungeons in most Zelda games. Yeah, I agree. I think the dungeons just need to have a little more meat on their bones and just be a touch longer. You know, I would almost say about uh, twice as long as the Divine Beasts in the Breath of the Wild. Yep, that sounds pretty good to me. And to be honest, it really wouldn't bother me that much if this game became more linear and more like a traditional Zelda game. I mean, I think it was great that Breath of the Wild broke that tradition and went and did something totally unexpected as far as the Zelda formula goes, but I really would not mind if they dialed it back and said, okay, now that we've shown people how different Zelda can be, Let's reel it back in and say, hey, look, this kind of Zelda can be really fun, too. I mean, either way, I'm cool with, but if they decided to say, hey, there is more linear progression in this game, it would not be a deal breaker for me at all. I would still, I think, enjoy it just as much as I did the first Breath of the Wild. Yeah, and even the uh, original Zelda that it kind of feels like Breath of the Wild is sort of capturing the spirit of, you still had to beat the dungeon in a specific order. And I do think that there is some sort of benefit to that. Yeah, that's very true. And I don't think having a little bit more linearity would be a bad thing. Yeah, so along those same lines, I think that, you know, the spirit shrines, I wouldn't mind if there were some that needed to have like certain abilities or weapons to complete. Kind of much like uh, Link Between Worlds. And I think you kind of touched on this in the dungeons. Like maybe you know going into the shrine what kind of ability you're going to need to be able to complete it. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, maybe you can't get into this dungeon unless you have that specific ability. Yeah, and I feel like Nintendo has definitely experimented a little bit with that in the past. Like Skyward Sword had some limiting dungeons like that. But I think the way the shrines are done, I think it would be an interesting approach to do something where, you know, it's a little bit more like, well, you can't do this yet because you just don't have whatever you need to do it. Mm -hmm. But of course, in the first Breath of the Wild, you had pretty much all your abilities right at the get-go, so there wasn't really anything that, you know, you'd need to be able to get into these dungeons or shrines, as the case may be. So are you suggesting that maybe you wouldn't have all your runes or tools right there at the outset? (laughs) So I think that it could be sort of a hybrid where you do kind of have your base elements, but then, you know, maybe there are a couple things you find, you know, like the, and not to go too much further into my list, but, you know, the hook shot was noticeably missing from Breath of the Wild. Yes, yes, it was. And so just something like that where you, you know, there's maybe some items you gather later on in the story that you can come back and kind of do things you couldn't do the first time around. Yes, yes, I completely agree. Actually, I was kind of looking at that from two ways. When I was talking about the dungeons, I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe in the midpoint of a dungeon, you would just get some sort of upgrade item that would let you upgrade, you know, maybe either a specific rune you have, Mm. or maybe you could choose which rune it would upgrade, and that way you'd be able to then continue to use that to explore the rest of the game world. Or alternatively, they could introduce brand new runes or tools. And yes, I was totally thinking that the hookshot should definitely be one of those. You know, as I was talking about with the Hassel the Hoff question, that is one of my favorite items. You know, it leads <laughs> to my favorite minigame was just, you know, whoosh, whoosh, zooming around with that hookshot or claw shot, as was the case in that game. But yes, I would love to see a hookshot-like tool come back. I was also thinking as far as new runes go, you know, something... For digging might be a lot of fun, maybe kind of like the mole Uh. mitts, but something where you could dig or manipulate the earth in some way would be cool. Right. And also, you know, since this is supposed to be a bit of a darker Zelda, maybe something for controlling the undead or manipulating skeletons in some way could be really, really interesting. I remember, you know, these huge skeletons that are in breath of the wild and they're just sort of there as decorations and i'm like you know what if you could interact with those in some way what if you could you know somehow make them come alive you could converse with them or maybe actually do something that could be very very interesting yeah that's a good point and uh, you know i think in general maybe just having some more sort of like magic abilities stuff like that Mm -hmm. you know the necromancy is an interesting idea for sure i mean speaking of the magic system I would kind of like to see that introduced, not necessarily for Link, but, you know, maybe for a playable Zelda. Oh, look at you. 
yeah, I would kind of like to see an aspect where you can tag back and forth between the two characters. Link with his rune abilities, and then Zelda with some uh, different, distinct magical powers. Yeah, they definitely allude to Zelda playing a bigger role in this one, perhaps, in the, yes, uh, yes, they in do. the teaser trailer. And uh, yeah, you totally. might not be wrong with that. Yeah, I think that would be a great inclusion. It's definitely something I would like to see and something that's sort of long overdue, in my opinion. I mean, Zelda is playable in certain games. That's something we were talking about on recent episodes of the show. But uh, yeah, it seems like it would be really good to have her as an alternative character instead of just playing as Link. Yeah, and given the nature of games lately, there are a lot of titles where, you know, there's two kind of protagonists and they basically interact with each other to drive the story along. Right, right. They've used that mechanic in some past games to kind of drive dialogue as well. So wouldn't be surprised to see that used here. Right, absolutely. And I think if that were the case, then it would make a lot of sense to possibly have some opportunities for two-player co-op. It certainly is true, and the Switch would be the perfect console to do it. Yes, yes indeed it would. And I don't know if that would be for the full game, or maybe only in these dungeons where you could control two characters you know, sort of simultaneously, or if it's single-player mode, alternating back and forth, or maybe there would just be some sort of specific mode for this. But I do think that you know, if you're going to have a playable Link and a playable Zelda, you might as well let them be playable in a co-op. So... Yeah, that is something I would love to see in this game. Yep, I'm right with you on that. Okay, so what else is on your list? Well, some of my favorite side quests in Breath of the Wild were Terrytown ah. and Eventide Island. Okay. Which both really have these, you know, definitely a departure from the rest of the game's kind of system. Yep, I think that's true. I would love to see just more types of that elements in the next one. I feel like they really made it fun when you kind of bring it back to its basics with, you know, the Eventide Island. You go out and you just like lose all your stuff and you have to start from scratch. Mm, Shirtless Link. Or, Or then also, you know, having this feeling of like you get to actually create a town or buy a house in a village. You know, having those kind of mechanics really make an open world game come to life and just be a little bit more of a richer experience, it seems. Okay, okay. Well, if I had my way, one element from Breath of the Wild I would kind of like to see dialed back is the weapon breaking system. <laughs> I kind of thought you might say that. Yeah, that was the one element of the game that uh, you know drove me a little bit crazy, I would <laughs> suggest. <laughs> I mean, I didn't hate it or anything, but I would just like to have more weapons that did not permanently break. And I was thinking there were a couple ways they could do this. One, they could have several different types of weapons that are kind of like the Master Sword, and you would just keep them permanently. They would not break, but they'd be of different types. There'd be a spear, there'd be an axe, there'd be a bow, there'd be short swords, there'd be long swords, and each different type of weapon would be more beneficial in different scenarios. So that would keep you changing up weapons and not just stick to one tried and true weapon. You'd still want to switch it around to keep that variety. Right. I could see that. That makes sense. And so that's one way it could be handled. The other is the weapons could still break, but instead of just, you know, shattering and disappearing from your inventory, they would stay there. They would be totally depowered and kind of worthless, but then you could take them back to a forge or something and you could get this weapon repaired. And I think that would really help a lot, too, because there were some weapons in Breath of the Wild that seemed really, really cool, and they seemed so cool I never, ever used them (laughs) because I didn't want them to break or I wouldn't have them for a really important fight or something. But if I could have this, you know, super powerful heat sword or something, and I could be like, oh, well, it broke, but, you know, I can still have this for another time, at least I would be convinced to experiment with it and try it out and you know sure i couldn't keep using it for this one battle but you know i could go back to the town and forge it and you know an hour later maybe i would have it in my inventory again and i think that would be a great way to get people to experiment with the gameplay and all the different weapons that are out there i mean that same thing happened to me with skyward sword because your shield would break i'd be like okay well there's no reason to use a shield just going to break anyway (laughs) and that sort of same thing would happen with the weapons but i think if there were a way to fairly conveniently repair them it would not break so to speak the broken weapon system and it would still encourage people to have that variety so that is just the kind of tweaks i would like to see made to uh, enhance this system a little bit 
Yeah, that all makes sense to me. And I think, you know, I liked your idea about the, uh, you know, needing a certain weapon to beat certain enemies. Mm -hmm. And I think expanding on that a little bit, you know, I would like to see a few more enemy types. Ah, yes, yes. That uh, was something I was thinking of as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing that I would like to see more of is having specific enemies in specific regions. I felt like you were kind of encountering the same enemy throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And while that wasn't a huge issue in Breath of the Wild, I would like to see, you know, a lot more Zelda variety type creatures. Yeah, for sure. It just seems like that's kind of a no-brainer with a game that's so big as something like Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I tend to agree. When you think about it, there really weren't that many enemy types in Breath of the Wild. There were the Bacoblins and the Moblins and the Lizalfos, but there weren't a whole lot more beside that. I mean, Lionels, of course, but there were only like, you know, five major enemy types and then, you know, the the Octoroks and, you know, the the Slimes. Okay, maybe there were more than I thought, (laughs) but there are a lot of significant Zelda enemies that did not make it into the game, and I would love to see them have a return in the follow-up. Skulchulas are the first one that comes to mind. I think they would be great to come back. And again, if this is a darker, possibly spookier Zelda game, I think they would make a lot of sense. And in that same vein, I would love to see the Stalfos return. I mean, we do have the little skeleton guys that would show up at night, as well as the giant skeleton guys, but the actual normal Stalfos were not in the game, as I recall. Oh, yeah, you're right. So I'd like to see those guys come back. And to continue my uh, thoughts of the undead, the Redeads should also return. Maybe they'll show up in some sort of a spooky crypt area. I don't know. But uh, those are cool enemies that I think should definitely make a comeback. When you said Redead, I heard, ah! Ah! <laughs> Yeah, totally. That's what it's all about. <laughs> but you're right. I think Redead are, uh, you know, a fantastic addition. And man, are those things creepy. <laughs> yes. And what about Wallmasters? Oh, God, I hate the Wallmasters. Those can disappear and never come back <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I totally forgot about those when I was making this list. Or even the floor master. I mean, what's creepier than a giant hand coming out of the ceiling and landing on you? Yeah, them carrying you the beginning of the dungeon. No, thank you. I'll be happy if they never show up again. Uh, On the other hand, I love the Dodongos. I'd like to see them return. I'd like to see Gomas return. I would like to see Iron Knuckles return. There weren't any knight-style enemies in Breath of the Wild. And... In addition, just to having enemy variety, I'm just very curious and would love to see how these characters all look in the Breath of the Wild art style. You know, especially something like the Rededs or the Skulchulas or the Dodongos. I think that's going to be really, really cool if they come back and have this new Breath of the Wild style aesthetic. Yeah, I definitely agree. Getting into a little bit of the nitty-gritty here. Okay, let's get that gritty. (laughs) I was going to say, I think, you know, from just like a menu perspective, there's a couple refinements I'd like to see. One in particular is just the inventory management. Hmm. Just a little bit more refinement would be nice. I don't want to go too far into it, but I picked up Breath of the Wild recently and was playing it. And just the fact that you can't kind of quickly swap between different categories in your menu just drives me crazy. And it's kind of sad that they never addressed that. Okay, okay. Um, Along those same lines, you know, the cooking mechanic, as good as it was, I just thought that it would be nice to have the option to sort of like do a batch cooking. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. You know, so you don't have to watch the whole interaction of him cooking every single time Mm -hmm. when there's so much reliance on meal prep. Yeah, definitely. And Chris, I figured you would want this feature. Wasn't something I necessarily thought of, but I always think of you when it comes to button mapping and the ability to switch things around and really, uh, you know, if you don't like what the jump button is, you should be able to change which button is the jump button. I know that's not typically a Nintendo thing, but I think with the next Zelda, I would love to see something like that. A little bit more options as far as that goes. Yeah, I can't say I had any problem with the controls in Breath of the Wild, but that is always appreciated. I have to say, though, I did have a few you know, minor things I would like to see added along these same sorts of lines. One of those is the inclusion of multiple save files so you could have you know, more than one game going at a time. I mean, I know you can go in there with a different user profile and do multiple simultaneous games that way, but I would like just to be able to select you know, file one, file two, file three like you could in the very first Legend of Zelda. You know, I think that would be very, very convenient to yeah. have. Yeah, definitely. Also, I'd like to see more HD rumble. (laughs) I remember back before this game came out, being told by someone at Nintendo 
that this game had some really amazing HD rumble features and they weren't there in the final game. And ever since then, I wanted to see this HD rumble stuff implemented in the Zelda game as I was told it would for uh, Breath of the Wild. Well, then you better not pick up a Switch Lite. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to see more Amiibo support. You know, I liked <laughs> that it let you get free items and unlock costumes in the first Breath of the Wild, but I think it would be also nice if it provided a shortcut to unlock some new mini dungeons or shrines or something like that. I think that would be a very cool addition as well. That seems right in your wheelhouse. You better believe it. You know, we did mention items earlier, and I forgot to mention one key one that I think would be cool. I really miss the Eye of Truth from Ocarina of Time. Yeah, that would be interesting to see make a comeback. And again, it fits in with this creepier theme, I think. Yeah, just kind of the ability to, uh, you know, see stuff that isn't there where it is would be uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, and I think it works pretty well with the rune system as well. Yeah, you're right. Well, I'm mostly done with my list here, but I think, you know, one thing that <laughs> that really was unfortunate in Breath of the Wild was there's all these dogs, no ability to pet them. What the heck? Oh, that's right. Yeah, it seems so simple, but uh, at the same time, it's just like, why not let me pet the dog? <laughs> And then also, why not have a dog as a pet or something? Yeah. Have some usefulness to it or something, perhaps. Yeah, can a companion to follow you around? I mean, you could kind of do that with the Wolf Link amiibo. But uh, yeah, it seems like it should be in there beyond that. That's a good idea as well. You know, it's interesting because my last thought also involved animals in the game. You know, I love the fact that there are rideable animals in the original Breath of the Wild beyond the horses. But... You couldn't really keep them or, you know, put them in a stable for the most part. And there were some you couldn't ride at all. So, you know, possibly my biggest complaint about Breath of the Wild is that you could not ride the moose. Let me ride the moose this time, Nintendo. That's all I really want. (laughs) Rideable moose in my Zelda game. I think that's your inner Mountie talking. Oh, you better believe it. (laughs) I agree. I think the moose should absolutely be rideable. (laughs) So, Pete, anything else on your list before we wrap this up? Well, I do have one weird wild card one that I'll throw out there just because, you know, you mentioned multiplayer earlier, and if you're able to play as Link and or Zelda, this could be a pretty cool feature. But a lot of games now are doing this battle royale where you're on an island, you know, you parachute in and you have to start from scratch and you have to compete against everyone else on the board. But I can actually see Zelda having some mode like that where, you know, you sort of parachute in, you land somewhere, and then it's kind of, you know, winner takes all. Like you're trying to take pot shots at each other with bows and arrows. You're, uh, you know, using your rune magic to like set up fortresses or, you know, move bricks around to kind of gain an advantage on somebody. As weird as that is for Zelda, I could just see something like that. It feels like, you know, Breath of the Wild had such a open world concept that it just felt like it could lend itself to something like that. And, you know, why not have the option for folks that want to play something like that? Well, that certainly sounds like it could possibly be its own entire separate game rather than just being part <laughs> of the Breath of the Wild sequel. But uh, I do admit that does sound like it has some interesting possibilities. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to change the whole Zelda franchise, but uh, yeah, just some kind of spin-off multiplayer game. Hmm. Well, I'm not going to hold my breath for that one, but I do admit it certainly could have some potential. Anyway, I think that exhausts all of our ideas that we've got for the Breath of the Wild sequel at this time. Only time's going to tell if any of them are going to make them in or what this game's going to be like. But certainly, whenever it hits, whatever they do, I am totally there for it. And I cannot wait to find out the details and sink my teeth into the next official Zelda installment. Yeah, and I'm actually curious what the listeners think, if there's anything that we missed or any features that they'd like to see. would be interesting to hear. Yeah, absolutely. We always welcome that kind of feedback. And with that said, I do believe our big topic for the week is all wrapped up, and it's time for us to close out this episode of the podcast. However, before we go, we do have time for one more thing, and that is a dramatic reading. Yes! This time, it is the eShop description of the Nintendo Switch game, Let's Go Nuts! Fast party platform game for up to four players. Finish levels as quick as possible. 
full of movable objects that you must use to finish each level. <laughs> I'm sure that you always wanted to play a platform game with cute squirrels, where each level is full of objects to move, funny monsters to defeat, and nuts to collect. I'm entirely sure that was always your dream. What? You can save squirrels in single-player levels, endless mode, and local co-op multiplayer, because your friends can dream too. Your party will turn to a great party when you start this game. Key features. Local co-op multiplayer game for up to four players. Perfect for a party. Single-player story mode. 40 levels and four diverse worlds. Mix of fast platform gameplay and dynamic puzzles. Cartoon-style fun. Full of movable objects that you must use to finish each level. Endless mode level. Run from monsters. <laughs> Super cute custom headgear for squirrels. Wow. Wow, indeed. You know, it's funny. There's a lot of stuff going on here. If you look at the game description in the eShop, it's funny because that first, like, let's see, three sentences are all part of the headline? Right. Like, what? <laughs> that, that's not a headline. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. All I do know is that I'm sure that the Squirrel Game was entirely always your dream, Pete. Mm. Is that not true? <laughs> I didn't know it, but I do know now. Without a doubt. I also know that your party will turn to a great party when you start this game. Smiley face. Well, there's really only one way to find out if that's true, Pete, and that's for you to uh, throw a party and then start <laughs> playing the squirrel game. So you do that and let me know how it goes. I don't think I've seen a smiley face emoji. Well, it's not emoji, but it's just like sort of the colon plus the parentheses to make a smiley face in a game description. Well, it's a brave new world out there, Pete. <laughs> also, can we just talk about this squirrel's character art for a second? Uh, if you want. I'm really not sure what's going on there. Yeah, why is his mouth open? <laughs> I don't know. He's got kind of weird-looking, creepy eyes, too. Yeah. He really, He's really terrifying-looking the more I look at it. Kind of looks a little undead. Yeah, I'm scared now. I don't know. I just realized the developer on this is Bearded Brothers game. Oh, yeah. So, are you saying you made this one? Uh, I think we both did. Huh. Weird. That would explain a lot, though, wouldn't it? It would. Certainly would. Well, at any rate, that pretty much does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find Pete at BurlyRedYeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, of course... It would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Bashad. Let's go nuts. And the victorious Team Chaos's Pearl. Let's go. Did you want to say we will see you next time.